Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour to Japan. It's Wednesday Night Rugby, but you're getting it 24 hours early on a Tuesday. It is time for us to look back on the second game of Ireland's Tour of Japan. The series ending up one all after the host beat the tourists by 29 points to 10 on Saturday morning. So it's a very contrasting conversation we're likely to have now with former Ireland prop Fiona Hayes, who's here with me. Fiona, how are you getting on? Hi Will, how are you doing? We were talking obviously with huge praise with the way that Ireland had played in the first game in Suzuka but when it went back to Tokyo last week there's probably two sides to it as to why the result was different. Japan were a lot better and Ireland probably didn't click in the same way particularly in the forwards I think compared to the first test. Yeah, it was definitely a mixture of both, Will. I think um, looking even at the the start of the game, I thought a lot of the girls looked tired. You know, it's their first tour traveling away. Maybe they've been gone two and a half weeks. Um, You could see it in them. They weren't used to that. So, you know, they... The, the ecstasy of winning last week, I suppose there was a big contrast. Then you have a whole week of training and you've got to go out and try and do it again. And a lot of these girls haven't been in a situation where they're doing that like a World Cup before. So I could definitely see the, the tiredness creeping in. And uh, although Ireland started well, I think it kind of, you could see it maybe after the first 10, 15 minutes where they lacked big ball carriers. They weren't getting over a gain line. But credit is due to the Japan as well, Will, because they came out, they, they obviously he went back, reviewed it, and they really went after Ireland, especially at that breakdown where Ireland gave away a lot of penalties and at set piece also. Yeah, they solved a lot of issues, Japan, from the week before, which clearly had to be work on the training ground, even in a short period of time, because Ireland couldn't get that platform when it came to, say, malls. Um, the scrum was being held up a lot more than it was the week before. And as you say, particularly um, when phase play broke down and it got into the breakdown situations, Japan looked like a different team. Yeah, completely different team. I think they gave Ireland a little bit too much respect last week. I thought they they probably thought that Ireland would attack Greg McWilliams' style. He'd really go after the outside channels and they seemed to let Ireland have the ball anywhere kind of in the middle of the pitch. They weren't contesting that rock and therefore that gave Ailsa Hughes and Dane O'Brien um, easy ball to play off and a lot more space. But we saw this week they went back and changed their game plan and they really attacked Ireland there and you could see the, the girls were slightly tired and some of the cleanouts were late and it just meant that there was a lot of messy ball throughout the game Yeah, Nicola Friday's comments uh, the captain after the game, she said quote I think it was probably just a case of the speed of ball that we were playing, uh, they were catching us out, we were committing silly errors that we should still be able to fix on the pitch that has to be a learning curve for us as a team as well, she said you have to be able to react to scenarios that are there in front of you one week a referee may well be in your favour, the next week maybe not, you have to be able to play the game that's in front of you, that's what's so frustrating but we'll definitely be taking learnings from it and I think that is the case to a large extent they were not getting the ball out to the backs in the same way that they were the week before that speed of ball was just down dramatically yeah, it was crazy. It was I think it was some a lot of the rooks were maybe five, six, seven seconds, which is is far too long when you've a defense set and and rushing up on top of you, which the Japanese defense were doing. So you barely saw the ball getting out to Eva Dalton. It was kind of stopped dead a lot of the time at Enya Breen, or else what was happening is forward carriers were coming around, uh, taking that ball on. But obviously they were taking it on kind of static at times because the rooks were so slow and therefore they weren't get gain line. And that's what I think cost them because they didn't know how to change that. They didn't they didn't look like a team that were able to fix it on the day. But that's what these games are about. They, they'll take these learnings and they, they'll go back and review and see what options they could have done to, to change how, how to speed up that ball coming out of there.
And particularly when it comes to learning, we've got players who we spoke about it last week, so many new caps that have come in over the last uh, little while and then so many players that have got less than 10 caps. They were pretty much blooded over the last uh, Six Nations campaign. So it's a very, very young looking side. Um, sometimes it almost feels like a cliche when we say learnings, but genuinely when you have players with that little international experience, they are going to learn a lot from the two games here. Definitely. And as I said last week as well, Will, you've you've some players, you know, the the 19 and 18 year olds and especially Dan O'Brien, she hasn't even played AIL or, or played. She's played under 18 um, interprovincial rugby, but she hasn't played adult rugby. So like she's going to take massive learnings from this. And I mean, I, I spoke last week about her boot and she was another player. She had a beautiful 50-22 in, in, in the game as well. And she looked unnerved by it all. There was an, un, an onslaught of Japanese players constantly try to attack her but I thought she still had that composure about her and she can only get better and better. How much of a loss was Sam Monaghan though? You were talking about how well she had played last week and the partnership between her and Friday in the engine room of the forwards and in this case Han O'Connor had to move. Now, that's not an issue with the way that Han O'Connor played but again, you're taking away one of your most important back row players to fill that gap and I felt at least that Monaghan's absence was really felt during the game as well. Oh, massively! It was it was the, from the kickoff. I could see, as I said earlier, that, that those big ball carries. I mean, Dorothy Walls, another player who who can make big hard carries, and they just didn't seem to be getting that that kind of um for that go forward ball. And I think when I looked back at the scrum as well, will they change? Obviously, Linda moved. Um, Linda Jugang moved back over to the tight head side. She's been playing loose. You could see she struggled to adjust in in that game. Her chest was too open. She was getting attacked and. The scrum wasn't going to plan, but even without the front row change, and I think Sam Monaghan offers a lot in scrum time as well. She's just a solid unit, and her body height is always really, really good to have behind um, that loose head or tight head prop. So she was missed there as well. She, I think she's someone who's grown, and although she isn't capped loads, you would think she's been around by uh, years, and especially by the way the girls talk about her as well. She offers a lot and, and gets this team going when they need to have those big pollers getting over the line. Can I ask you about the difficulty of switching from either side of the front row? Because I asked Andrew Porter about this back at the start of the Six Nations and he made it sound like it's easy. But um, everyone else who seems to have propped and maybe tried a bit on both sides at different times of their career, they say it's ridiculously difficult. You almost have to retrain yourself for everything you're doing, particularly around the scrum. How difficult is the idea of Linda, say, just popping over from one to three and maybe going back again? Yeah, I think it's it's very, very, very hard. I think Andrew Porter, all credit due to him, he's just, he's immense. I, I do think sometimes I could get backlash for this, but I think it might be easier for a tight head to, to switch to a loose head position. A lot of people start at loose head and kind of when they're younger and get up to that tight head because tight head is so technical, so detailed. And and the way I, I always explain to my own players is at tight head, you're constantly getting attacked. At loose head, sometimes you're the one that's able to do the attack and so so to be able to to switch back everything about your body shape, about how you how you bind, everything is completely different. And I think and I think on the day it probably didn't work. Linda has the ability to be both, but to just make that uh, change on the day and against the Japanese team, I suppose that were kind of hurting from their scrum the week before. You could see they were really really going for her, and they got a good bit of change out of that as well. Is part of the thinking of using her in both positions to maybe add to her versatility a little bit, or is that a concern? Because I mean, you obviously have been watching this squad that maybe there's a lack of depth over on the three side or, or what's the thinking on it? Yeah, I think it's lack of depth. I think uh, Chrissy Haney um, getting injured um, 
there might have been maybe talk of her maybe starting the game and because Katie O'Dwyer had started the week before and I and from what I've seen Greg seems to be giving them equal amount of game time so when she got injured um and you don't need the one on the you don't need the one tight end I suppose left that could possibly go on the bench he made a decision to to I would imagine to move Linda over freeing up Laura Feely to get her her first start in a in a in a year I'd say and then you had Chloe Pierce to possibly come on at loose head then as well and 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 get in there so I think it, there, maybe there wasn't enough tight heads there but Linda probably in the back of the Irish management's head had had the ability because she did when I used to prop against Linda years ago she was playing tight heads. Greg McWilliams was very quick to brush off the idea that there's any issue about him selecting Joe Brown or anyone else who may be from abroad that are eligible to play What's Joe Brown going to bring, though, um, given that she's already played, what, seven games for England, was part of a Grand Slam, uh, winning success a few years back? OK, she's been out of international rugby a little bit um, because she was changing eligibility. But what is Joe potentially going to bring to that squad? Yeah, I, I watched the game, Will. I thought I would have seen her. I thought I would have seen a far more dominant performance maybe than what I saw. But she's she's obviously just over. She's only trained with the team a little bit. She's trying to settle in and find her place. Um, She plays with Worcester over in the Premiership. And, you know, she is she is a big ball carrier. She she's she is good around the loose. She she gets on the ball. You know, she tries it. She has a, she's had a couple of turnovers when I've been watching her in games in the Premiership. And she is good in that sixth position. Um, he He's obviously seen a lot more of her and she's been in those camps, IQ camps across the water. And he's probably seen something in her, a spark or or something that maybe a lot of us mightn't have seen because we don't watch enough of, of that rugby over in the premiership. I think, you know, she's been capped in England. He's he's really seems to be investing in her because I, I know there's a lot of talent around the country and he's brought in guy, or girls that are aged 18, 19. So it's obviously something Greg's seen that he really wants to add to his team and and make that, um she's made that change over now and you could see by him giving her the nod and giving her the start that, that he wants her to be part of probably the, the next Six Nations going forward. Because I think we can conclude that he feels that she's a lot to add because the back rows in area where Ireland had plenty of good players and okay some of them have retired in recent times that we're adding that bit of extra depth but it's not a position where Ireland were in a bad position so he obviously feels if he's going to bring her in play at number six and put faith in her now that she's going to be worth it in a, as a longer term project let's say. I think so, and uh, as well as that, you like I'm I'm a big fan of Maeve O'Leary. She played with Munster last season, and she kind of broke onto that Irish squad as well. She just, she had a couple of caps, and she actually got injured just before the the team departed, so she wasn't able to go to Japan. I think as a young player, we might have seen a bit more of her over there. But he he's liked she, Joe has obviously trained really well at camp. He's like what he saw, and that's why she's gotten that certain six. Uh, spot because obviously he had to shuffle things around with Sam Monaghan and if he's given her that option he's she seems to be definitely in his plans going forward and I suppose with that Grand Slam she's she's done that in the past she knows that winning feeling so you know I, I haven't even talked to the girls about her maybe she has a, a kind of a leadership about her that she 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 gets players working for her and she's she's got the ability to talk to people I'm sure that all comes into play when he's looking at these players mm, Rugby here on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour of Japan which has just come to an end one apiece with Japan winning 19-0 at the weekend in Tokyo who has impressed you, Fiona, over the two games then? And I appreciate there were a lot of changes made over the two, so it was a chance for Greg McWilliams and his coaching team to see lots of players. But who's coming out with credit? Who impressed you? 
Um, I have to take my hat off to Neve Jones. I was I was super impressed. I, I've spoke about her before and her ability to tackle hard, but we really, really saw it. I think uh, Murray Kinsla has released clips of her in the last couple of weeks as well, absolutely blasting the Japanese forwards and driving them back five, six metres. And we all knew, you know, people who've played with her, our, our coach teams playing against her, we, we know that she has the ability to do that. But it was her set piece. And especially in that first game, her scrummaging had, looked like come on her height looked like she was really low and she was compact with her two front row and her throwing was excellent in the first game there might have been a, a bit of confusion in some of the line outs in the second game but I think that had got to do with maybe calls and lack of movement at times so she's definitely a player that you know with all the talk about uh, you know we talked about it ourselves uh, Will about Kleena Maloney I think she's she's taken that in her stride and put her hand up and said hey I'm here and and I, I have the ability to, to do exactly what Kleena can do for this team as well well so I was excited to watch her and and see how she grew in the game and look you have to I, I spoke about Enya Breen she didn't quite um, probably have the game she would have liked to have last week but you know that's that's credit due to Japanese defence and coming up and shutting her out and they seem to read a lot of the play that Ireland were doing but I thought her defence at times was really good and probably areas she could work on as well because there was a slight drift in between herself and Aoife Dalton but they looked like they were building up a, a nice partnership and I, and I thought she her, her ability to kick and and she being able to be that second playmaker at 12 you know we know Stacey Flood can do it as well but just say if she's away with the sevens if we have any there as well they both have that ability and you want a 10 and 12 that can play ball like that so she's another player and obviously Dan O'Brien what a what a player and what a boot I spoke, spoke about her last week I mean she was just she was just so controlled so composed for, for an 18 year old and that's what's really exciting me because we we've I've read an article, you know, and I've talked about it, about, you know, the lack of tens. And it's just been like a conveyor belt. They've been in, they've been out for the last maybe three, four years since Nora Stapleton. We haven't had, you know, a, a player that is that is your 10, that's your Johnny Sexton or your Ron Aguirre, who's who's getting that game time, who's sticking to that jersey and, and will be there unless they, they get injured. So it's exciting to know that she's only 18 years of age and she has the ability to 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 learn so much and we saw her learn from the first game to the second game. She's not by any means a finished product, but to, to start off at that at that age is is really, really good. And her boot getting that 50-22 in both games can get you out of trouble and her kick for touch and everything has been quite excellent throughout the two games. I think as well, ideally, they would hope that the out half would come from the 15 system as opposed to a sevens player who's going to stand in at number 10. Because even um, the RFU released the training squad for the World Cup. They're already out in South Africa. But when you saw the squad come down, you're thinking, there are players here who've been tried in the centre, who've been tried at out half, who've been tried on the wing, who are in with the sevens programme currently. If you want that continuity at 10, realistically, you probably don't want in the ideal world to be picking, say, Stacey Flood, and potentially she could be off on the sevens World Series circuit while the Six Nations is on. Well, well, you would take that, wouldn't you? But you know what? Nothing surprises me um, in the last couple of years with the way these things have gone. But I think things are starting. To, the ship is starting to steady now. And I, I would imagine he'll be looking at players that are definitely going to be able to play week in, week out. And that he will be able to see around the country playing for the AIL or get videos of these girls playing over in the Premiership. Because that's kind of the path at the minute. It's it's going AIL and it's been shortened for a reason because then they, they need to go on and see step up to that interpro level and Greg wants to see these players playing at that level so then in turn they can go on and play with Ireland hopefully when it
it comes to that Six Nations next March and and hopefully it'll be kind of a, a team and a squad of players who are who are there and who are training together and are getting a feel for one another. You know, these Sevens players are absolutely amazing and the skill set is brilliant. But I just think the idea of being in and out doesn't suit the way Ireland likes to play. People need to feed off each other and get settled with one another. And I think that's the way he should probably go forward. Yeah, like it feels like a tug of war that goes back to, I remember I think it was Sandy Nepu and Ali Miller. And there was a few players that got pulled out to go to Russia a few years back mm-hmm. as part of the Sevens programme. And yeah. it was just at the wrong time, right in the middle of the Six Nations. And unfortunately, as the Sevens series continues to grow, not for a moment am I saying here that I don't no. think those players should be involved in the 15s. But because the Seventh Circuit is now pretty much year round at this stage, mm-hmm. you almost have to accept if they're centrally contracted for sevens rugby too, they're going to have to go and play in the seventh circuit while the 15s team may need them. Yeah, exactly. And these players like are the utmost professionals and they want to be available for everything and they have the skill set probably to play both games, but it's just not the way the game works. I think, you know, they're they're doing really well at the sevens. And I, and I think, you know, out in South Africa and this World Cup, they have a, a really good chance of finishing in the top three. They've been, every time I've watched them perform in the last uh, year or so, they've gotten better and better and they seem to be really gelling as a squad. So they're, you know, they're focused on that and, and that's brilliant. And, and, you know, everyone's excited because they have the ability to go out and, and get in the top three of, you know, World Rugby, be it sevens. But I think you're, you're on the ball there Will when you say you you want to see that continuity of players playing and being able to play that 15s game and it's hard for them to switch back and and switch go go to 15s and back to 7s it's not taken away from it but it's not every athlete that that can do that so they really need to look at both players and not have it affect their game in either coach Mm. what have you made Fiona of this idea that's been floated over the last few days of a men's development squad potentially going to South Africa next month. Um, for me, on the face of it, this could be really great for the players involved because they get a chance to impress Andy Farrell and they get time to be with the coaching team and get that type of elite training. But potentially this could be a blow for the provinces at the start of a pretty packed start to the URC season. If, say, in some cases, those development players are coming away who might be key players for the province, but yet will be going away to South Africa for a month and stripping them away from the provinces, that what could be a very important part of the season for them? Yeah, it's a funny one. When I heard it first, I was very excited at the prospect. You know, you've a lot of long, young guys that you want to you want to see. You've got Thomas O'Hearn, just say, for instance, down in Munster. And, you know, he mightn't be seen week in, week out playing with Munster or even the likes of Josh Witcherly at Loosehead. And these are the guys you want going away and tour and being able to, Andy Farrell, be able to see them up close and personal, see how they perform. Although they mightn't be the starters for Munster, that they have the ability to stay in his head when it goes forward to, to pick in squads you know um even traveling squads down the line but uh, but i completely understand the problems is it, it's packed for them and you know you don't know what injuries guys could pick up an injury one week and you could be down two loose heads and you're and the other guy could be over at this emerging team going over in ireland so it, it's a it's a funny one i think they'll probably get together and talk to the provinces and and if guys are are, are starters for the province i imagine they might miss out and it might be just a very young group that's going and we might see a lot of the the 18 year olds or 20s that we've seen playing with Ireland under 18 and 20 that might get a shot as well to be seen by Andy Farrell. Yeah it'd be intriguing to see how it's picked and the devil will be in the detail of that I was just thinking if you get a player who's maybe on the fringe of their provincial side right now and could be becoming an important player they obviously don't want to block them from going off in an emerging squad. They play quite well in South Africa, play a few games for the province when they come back, and next thing they're in an extended squad for November and it turns out the province is without their player for the bones at three months as a result. 
Yeah, you see, there's that. There's all those logistics. They mightn't even be there, but they could be needed further the, down the line. But I look, that's the way rugby is going. You want, you, we've talked about, you know, having the academies there, having, you know, the provinces there so that these guys are ready to make that step up to international level. It's not three games they need to settle in, but they can have that one game and be at that pace. And I think tours like this, they will learn exactly how to travel together with teams. They learn exactly the systems that Andy Farrell wants to play and they'll see what it's like in that environment and especially across across in South Africa where they'll be playing I think it's two or three very physical teams so it would be good for them but you you can understand that the the provinces might be a bit uh, annoyed especially when it comes to lads that could be called up in that uh, window for those November internationals when they're needed at home Yeah let them sit down with the RFU and work out exactly who has to go Rugby here and off the ball with thanks to Vodafone a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour of Japan Fiona I want to ask you about Argentina as well and the rugby championship the position that we're in right now where the focus obviously on New Zealand because of their now poor home record uh, by their own very very lofty standards but what a result for them at the weekend and to set up the rugby championship so beautifully now as well Michael Sheck and Felipe Contepomi's side sitting top of the table backing up that win against Australia to show that that was no flash in the pan and now I think they can go and attack this second game against New Zealand this weekend definitely can that's a, a hurt New Zealand team I the thing that stood out to me in the game was the Argentinian defence it did not give New Zealand an inch you know you have to say obviously people are saying that uh, New Zealand are underperforming I thought they actually started really really well I thought you could see that structure that that Schmidt likes to play come in we could see that one two two one and we could see it spread out um, but that Argentinian defence did not give them an inch they, they could not give uh, get ground you know in those big ball carriers and all credit to them they, they some of the tries they scored as well they are they are not afraid to, to attack from inside their 22 and we could see there was even a couple of times where they got just they re, they left their own 10 meters out and got down inside in the all blacks uh, 22 and it was like it just maybe a small little error could have resulted in another try again they're probably the most exciting team to watch at the minute in in world rugby i think they're 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 gelled together defensively really really good but they're kicking game we've known from Argentina for years is is excellent but they now look well coached and their discipline was excellent throughout the game as well especially in the last 10 minutes which the All Blacks can't say the same thing. Yeah I kind of thought last 25 minutes half hour of the game you're thinking this is the real test of where Argentina are at. You've nudged a point ahead mm. but can you actually hold on and I thought to their own massive credit they got a lift every time that they won a penalty or if they turned over the ball and yeah. they won plenty of penalties because of how good they were defensively and in a way they kind of forced New Zealand to do something very different Fiona which was the amount of times that New Zealand were actually forcing it a little bit where that was yep. taking a kick on that wasn't on or maybe trying to do an offload when it wasn't on at the same time they looked a little bit panicky in the last 20 minutes yeah, I was the exact same as you. I really thought, I, I thought the All Blacks, because they'd started well, I thought that maybe, you know, they brought on their subs, which would, their bench was quite strong. I thought that they were probably going to finish the stronger team, but with every single penalty that Argentina won, they just lifted them up and up. And you could see the brotherhood amongst them. They were tapping each other on the back, every scrum. They were, they didn't start so dominant, but they they gained their ground, they got their feeling. And I thought their scrum near the end was really, really good as well. It's 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 funny, this All Black 
black team you know they've people have been saying maybe in the last few few weeks or or the last few months sorry that they you know that they're very structured sometimes and that they're not doing those offloads that we used to see but they definitely tried it in this game and you could see the Argentinian defense put serious pressure and they're not going to hand their skill set just doesn't seem to be able to take that pressure at the minute whatever's going on it might be a slow process as well Fiona with New Zealand because I saw some of the statistical breakdowns and what they did in the first half particularly and there was a lot of what we would call Joe Schmidt ball mm. in the first half you could see slowly but surely that's coming in but there's only so much that Joe Schmidt can do in a short period of time it's probably going to take a little bit longer to actually see the imprint of his attack and maybe a bit more control with what the All Blacks are doing that might take more than just a few games to get that together Definitely. And look, you know, you, you'd you be a bit nervous when it comes to World Cup. They, they have a bit of time till the World Cup. But I think this championship will be good for them. I think they you can see the influence. And we, I definitely saw it at the start of the game. I thought they were definitely far more controlled. I thought um even the kicking game was far more controlled. And they you could see options on everything they were trying to do. In times in previous uh, games, I'd seen one-out runners, one-out attackers that were getting easily turned over. Um, Yes, they resorted to that towards the end of the game when the pressure was on but I thought at the start of the game there was a lot of options and all their passing out the back and you could see that there was definitely Joe Smith's type of structured attack in there but um, it will definitely take time they've been they haven't been clicking for quite a while their confidence is low so he will have to try and build that up gradually and you know a lot it's, it's some players find it hard to, to to work in these systems and especially in the system he types in the type of game he likes to play so they will they'll have to get their homework and they'll have to go back and look at that I, an area that really kind of concerns me about them is uh, the midfield you know they're I, I think you know uh, Havili Ioni they're, they're great players but there's something lacking like there's no big ball carrier there's no one getting over that gain line that's that's getting them on the back foot they, they seem to be playing a, a loopy type of rugby which is really good and I, I like watching that style but when when you, you want someone to come off the bench and have the ability to get into that centre and run hard flat lines and they just see, don't seem to have that at the minute yeah I think as Ireland fans we would much prefer South Africa and New Zealand to be in crisis in 12 months time and not now they've got plenty of times <laughs> in both cases uh, to fix the issues they have Fiona great stuff as always thanks a million no worries thanks a million Will Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team on their summer tour to Japan 